Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. Nice to see and ears to hear, as you always do. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, this is our third discussion on the life of Paul. If you weren't here the first week, we talked about how he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day, and going back to the book of Genesis of how the, a Hebrew of Hebrews would be circumcised on those particular on on the eighth day, and so he was that. And if you were here last week, we see that this man Paul or Saul of Tarsus that we're studying uh, in six A.D. when Jesus was about six years old, nine hundred sixty-one miles to the north in a town called Tarsus. In uh, the Roman Empire, there was a, man, a boy that was born by the name of Saul. He was raised in a family of tent makers. At the age of 14, his dad uh, sent him to be with Gamaliel, which was the chief of the Pharisees, and uh, spent some time, eight years in Jerusalem, came back to his synagogue, and about 34 AD, he comes back. And uh, we picked up the text last week where we first see him in Scripture, Saul of Tarsus, uh, standing beside one of his leaders, Gamaliel, there as they bring the sentence to this man called uh, Stephen. And so uh, if you'd like the notes on that, I'm sure we can get them to you. I kind of have these wrote out uh, to where you can just go back and read over these. But uh, tonight we're going to talk about the conversion of Paul. The big text that we see, there's three times in Scripture that we see him give uh, the account of his testimony. Or two, really, the testimony, but this was the, um, the account of when it really took place. So if you have your Bibles, or you can read along here in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So in the latter end of chapter 8 is where we picked up, we were ended last week, of where they stoned this man named Stephen. An interesting fact about that is that Jesus stood next to him. Of the, Every other scripture in Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But at this time, Jesus stood. And that's something when we do, uh, you know, uh, uh, when we stand out to the Lord, it makes him stand to, stand to attention. Isn't that awesome? Uh, that's the only time in Scripture that I know of. But uh, Stephen, uh, he's definitely one that we'll see in heaven for sure. He went to the high priest and asked letters from him, the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, these are so the way was these group of people that were following uh, the instructions of Jesus Christ, saying that he was the Messiah and they believed in the resurrection. So this is what they called themselves. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came to Jerusalem, or sorry, near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want to do? Uh, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they laid him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. 
Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one who called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Don't you know he had? How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. We're going we're gonna to study this text right here that he is there to bear his name for Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. I'll show you through text of how he did that. But it's amazing, isn't it? Something that a Hebrew of Hebrews, only God could call him to a Gentile kingdom. Um, it says, for I, show him, for, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my, for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciple at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Here we go. When we think of Paul's uh, violent past, it may make you feel uncomfortable. He remains one of many Men who, apart from Christ, continues to feed us with life-changing truth like no other spiritual mentor in history. Apostle John and Peter did a pretty good job as well, along with many others. So because of this, we don't like to focus on the time when he was so lost. But also, too, we can't ignore the biblical record of his past. The scriptures are detailed for a reason on the depth of Paul's sinful past before his conversion. It's not just past, but it's Paul who paints the picture for us. He, his repeated testimony discloses his confession to his life of being a chief of sinners, as he puts it himself. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 4 through 5, we see it. I persecuted this way. Remember, we saw who the way was. This way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren. And went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were, were there to Jerusalem to be punished. In Acts 26, 9 through 10, we see this account. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. We also see it in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. I think we all get the picture. 
Augustine called Paul's conversion the violent capture of a rebel will. He pictured it in commentary as being like changing the nature of a wolf into the spirit of a lamb. Only God could do that in a soul like Saul. How did it happen? Well, in Paul's word, Paul's words, I was shown mercy. You can find that in 1 Timothy 1.13. Mercy met the rebel Saul as he pressed towards Damascus. Paul's conversion. As we go to the book of Acts, Saul is hot. Blood boiling mad. He's on the murderous trail to Damascus to shake things up. He went north out of Jerusalem with the blessing of Alexander the Great, sweeping across Persia and across Georgia. Not, you know, where the bulldogs are. Saul was out of control. He was bloodthirsty for every follower of Christ and his passion for them drove him to a destination we all know as Damascus. If you're a follower of Jesus living anywhere near Jerusalem, you dreaded his knock at the door. Wouldn't you? In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked the letters, asked letters for him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Why Damascus? Over 100 miles north of Jerusalem, the journey to Damascus was no small undertaking. To Saul, the trip would pay off. Josephus writes, at one point in history, 10,000 Jews were massacred in Damascus. Hard evidence that at certain times, a significant number of Jewish people lived in the city. Saul had in his hand the census figures. You know he did. If he, you know, he was sent there by Alexander the Great. He knew that many Jewish turncoats had fled Israel's uh, capital to seek refuge in faraway Damascus. He devised an aggressive plan to storm the city, capture the turncoats, and drag them into court. But God had a different plan. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you close your eyes, you can almost hear the slamming on the brakes. His murder journey was coming to a stop. Don't you know it was? Isn't this just like the Lord? No announcement ahead of time, no signs in the heavens to warn Saul that, that tomorrow at this time God's going to stop you. God had a plan in the midnight hour when it would make the greatest impact. God stepped in. Saul's life would never be the same. Aren't you thankful that God stepped into your life at the right time for such a time as this? Has God ever got your attention? All right. Just ask that one more time. Has God ever got you guys' attention? It's time like these that your life is impacted forever. It's shocking moments like this that awaken our senses and we suddenly remember that God is in control. I mean, there's um, how many times have we got the phone call or received news? In fact, let's, let's at this time, I, I want to lift up, um, yeah, the Coons. Um, Many of y'all know him, many of y'all don't know him, but Scott and Ellen Kuhn came, have came and ministered here many times. But Ellen was with her sister and brother-in-law um, doing missionary work in Guatemala, Guatemala. And they were leaving on a plane, just the three of them. He's been a pilot for many years and uh, had a wreck, killed all three of them in the plane. And uh, I just want to lift up Scott Kuhn. He's, he's spoken into many of our lives. He, he's spoken to me and Brandy's life. At a time in our life, both of them, 
together at a time in our life where we needed a word from God. And they, I don't even know if it was on pastor's radar, but he said that, that uh, we would pastor this church. Many of y'all were in the room and they said that. It was a shocker to me. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But God had a different plan, right? And so even, I, I know this, knowing Pastor Scott, I know he was devastated. But I, I know this, that he knows that God's still on the throne. And that he never leaves us and never forsakes us. But let's just come together and let's pray for them. God, we get in agreement. And God, you said be thankful in all seasons of life. And Lord, we just say this. God, thank you for the life of Ellen Kuhn. God, thank you for the deposits that she's made in my life. The deposits she's made in the lives of many in this room. And Lord, I know that you're saying to her, well done. Well, well done. Thy good and faithful servant. Thank you for being my voice. Thank you for doing what I've asked you to be and, and doing what I've asked you to do. But, God, we lift up Scott Coon to you. God, we pray for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards his heart, guards his mind. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would give him eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, uh, I know you're not done with Scott. I know that there is a plan for his life. God, we just pray for strength, courage. You wrap your arms around him. Lord, I just pray for their kids. I pray for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I just pray for Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, supernatural peace to come over them. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for it. Amen. So for three decades of Saul's life, Saul controlled his, his own life. His record of Judaism was second to none. On his way to make an even bigger name for himself, the laser of God's presence stopped him dead in his tracks and blinded him. Saul falls to the ground in shock. For this first time in Saul's life, Saul found himself a desperate dependent. You know, sometimes it's good to be a desperate dependent. Not only was he pinned to the floor, but he was blind as well. He heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul knew he had been persecuting people what he thought were cultic followers of a false messiah. Instead, he learned his brutality against these people was against Christ himself. I mean, you all know you better watch out when you mess with God's people. Warren Wiersbe gives us an excellent image of the answer Saul might have given to, to some brave soul who would dare ask why he did what he did. This is some commentary. I thought it was good. Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Uh, do you expect me to believe that a crucified nobody is the promised Messiah? According to our law, anybody who is hung on a tree is cursed. Would God take a cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? No. His followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and doing miracles through them. But their power comes from Satan, not God. This is a dangerous sect, and I intend to eliminate it before it destroys our historic Jewish faith. Don't you know this bold claim went away the moment he hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love it that the Lord knew his name. I want to ask you, does the Lord know your name? He knows my name. Y'all remember that song? He knows my every thought. He, I forget the rest. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I call. Amen. But also scripture teaches us he knew the amount of hairs that were on his head. Every thought he had thunk and every terrible motive he had marching on that day to Damascus. The Lord knew the end from the beginning. 
I mean, y'all know we serve the Alpha and the Omega, beginning, the end, the first, the last, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 5, it says, And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Saul, who had never uh, heard such a booming voice, answered with respect, Who are you, Lord? Some people think that marked the moment of his conversion. The word he used here was a Greek word, kurios, which means Lord or Master. It was no more than a title of respect, like sir would be the term we use today. Who are you, sir? Saul was blinded and confused, and the authoritative voice is not one he had heard before. Can you imagine the silence that came from Saul when Jesus replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting? Don't you know that that at that moment, Saul knew Jesus was not dead, but alive? This is the moment Augustine was talking about. His rebel will was captured. His journey took a different course. His mind did a turnaround that would transform him from the inside out. This is a true repentance. This is what true repentance looks like. The mind does a turnaround. How many of y'all believe that? It's an about face move. You're going this direction and you turn and go the other direction. I know that we've studied this before, but the Greek word is metanoia from the verb metanoia. Oh, meaning. To change, one, change one's mind. We talked about this when we talked about the salvation, um, the helmet of salvation. This is exactly what happens to, to this proud Pharisee in the road, on the road to Damascus. So many things in Saul's thinking changed that day. He changed his mind about God, Jesus, the resurrection, and about those who followed him. He thought Christ was dead. Now he was truly convinced that he was alive. This Jesus that knew his name also knew what he had been doing. This rebel had met his match, and there was no place to hide. We can't hide or escape from his presence. <clears throat> Psalm 139, 12 says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. We can't hide from the all-knowing, all-seeing God. Saul is learning this great lesson on the road to Damascus. His life forever transformed when Jesus interrupted his plans. Saul was beginning to be reborn. I believe this conversion happens more than we take credit for. Lost people are saved while listening to a great song about Christ, while hearing the gospel preached. Many also come to him on their own while crying out to him or in a private setting. Or, I mean, I've ever introduced Jesus to somebody on the workplace, wherever it is. I'm just trying to point out, let's not make this more complicated than it is. As it happened with Saul, it can still happen today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know matter how lost they are. Come on. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Regardless of exactly when, when Saul was converted, he realized that this living Jesus, you know, the one he hated and denied his entire life, was now his Savior and Lord. Now we will begin to see how Saul learned that the Lord had been there all along. And he said, verse 5, and he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. To kick against the goats, this is an interesting fact, was a common expression found in both Greek and Latin literature. It was a rural image which rose from the practice of farmers goading their oxen in the fields. We would call this a uh, hot shot. All right? It might be unfamiliar to us in wording that is. That's why I said in wording that is. We would call it a hot shot. 
uh, with, you know, just without the electricity. Everyone in that day understood what Jesus was saying. Goads were made from slim pieces of timber, blunt on one end and pointed on the other. Farmers would use the pointed end to push a stubborn ox into motion. Occasionally, the ox would kick at the goad. The more the ox would kick, the more likely it would stab into the flesh of its leg, causing even greater pain. So we can see that Saul's conversion could appear to us as having been a sudden encounter with Christ. But based on the Lord's expression regarding his kicking back, I believe he really had been working on him for years, prodding and goading him. An example would be from Stephen's death. You know that Saul probably never fully recovered from the mental image of that day. He may have kept one of the robes that Stephen wore, now stained with blood. It wasn't the fact that Stephen had died uh, that troubled him. It was the way he died that probably haunted him. No screaming, no cry for mercy, no cursing, no recanting of his face as he faced the threat of execution. Instead, the Bible says his face was shining like one who had seen the face of an angel had the face of an angel. And the Bible says, and he prayed. With compassion for his executioners, don't hold this charge against them, Father. They don't know what they are doing. These could be some of the things that goaded Saul. Also, on a side note, Saul probably could not escape noticing the courage of his prisoners. The believers he illegally and viciously cuffed rarely resisted the torture. Though many probably shrunk in their faith, the vast majority stood firm in allegiance to their master, Christ. Their courage in the face of certain death had to have goaded Saul. He simply could not pull all this out of his mind. God goaded and prodded the stubborn pride of the Pharisee. Day after day, he kicked against the goads until finally he got the message. There would be no more running. There's going to be no more hiding. The fight was over. As always, God won. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened and saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. Ananias, from the book, A Man of Grace and Grit, Paul by Chuck Swindoll writes this. I I thought this was so good to share with you. Because it paints a picture of what you could kind of go off of. Let's pretend it's 1940. You have moved to the outskirts of Vienna, Austria. The Nazis have occupied the beloved city you once called home. Now the entire country has fallen under Nazi occupation. You are Jewish. You are Jewish. Most of your relatives have vanished, arrested secretly in the cover of darkness by armed soldiers. You've made the painful decision to gather your family and free your, flee your comfortable home near the city of your birth and take refuge in a remote cottage far away in the mountains. The night before the planned escape, you're awakened by a strange presence in your bedroom. Rubbing your eyes, you apprehensively sit up in bed and try to focus your thoughts. Am I dreaming? Fear grips you. Then out of the darkness comes an unrecognizable voice saying, Arise, go to the streets named Wickenburg, just to the west of the campus of the University of Vienna. There you will find a home owned by Franz Kaiser. When you enter there, you will find a name from 
you will find a man from Upper Austria. His name is Adolf Hitler. I have appeared to him, and he is now praying. He is blind, and I've revealed myself to him. Go and touch him, and he will regain his sight, and he will save your people. You sit stunned, desperately trying to make sense of what you just heard. You can scarcely believe the command. Vienna is crawling with grim-faced Nazis carrying loaded weapons. Their orders are to seek out and capture Jews. Perhaps it's a setup or a tasteless practical joke. No, the voice was real. The command is clear. Here's the question. Would you go? Would you believe that what you heard was true? Can you imagine yourself coming out of hiding and risking risking life and limb to find your way down a dark Vienna street and knock on the door of a home that you've never visited? I thought that was a good way of illustrating this, of when God is asking Ananias to go and pray for this man named Saul. Isn't that a great description? So in the same way, Ananias knew about Saul. Saul had been pursuing Christians with a furious, just like Hitler, determination. The safety that Damascus once had for Ananias and the other followers of Jesus was gone because the intense persecution now this believer faced Uh, Another change in his life as a result of the vision he received from the Lord. Though tradition identifies Ananias as possibly one of the bishops of Damascus, little is known of the man. He slips into the book of Acts out of nowhere. Besides his name, all the Bible tells us is that he was a disciple living in Damascus. No great figure here. No reputation preceding him into this moment in history. Nothing. What plucked this ordinary individual out of hiding and into the record of sacred scripture was a vision. Not just your run-of-the-mill kind of vision, a vision with a surprising punch in the form of a command. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Don't you know that he was trying to get this through his head? Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. Listen to the tone right there. And here he has authority, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind those who call upon your name. Like the Lord needed to know about Saul's reputation. Right? I mean, how many times have you guys have ever t- tried to talk the Lord out of something that he's asked you to do? It never works. I believe he was a sincere disciple of Christ, a born-again and dedicated follower. The real McCoy. Saul killed Christians. I can see his dilemma. Ananias had heard God's voice. The plan was not fun, though. He had told him Saul was blind and praying uh, praying somewhere in the city. In that case, keep him blind <laughs> might have been his flesher's response. Because at that point in the, in the story, he had no guarantee that Saul would be transformed. God's plan was full of uncertainties and risks. How I many you know you got to step out in faith? 
Acts chapter 9, verse 13, it says Ananias protested. Oh, oh, this is the message translation. The reason I put it in here. I love the way it says this. Ananias protested, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him license to do the same things to us. But then comes God's response. Verse 15, it says, But the Lord sent him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God's command here is go. Don't you love that? God never stutters when it comes to revealing his will. He knew exactly what was necessary. He knew that bagging Saul required some obedience from Ananias. Is it all right if I use like hunting terms like bagging? All the rednecks in the room got that. He also knew that it called for faith, trusting in him. Getting Ananias from where he was to where he wanted to take him was going to be a challenge. But heaven knows no reluctance. Reluctance to obey God's will is a human response. He's a chosen vessel. God brought out from behind the scenes a few more details about his plan. Speaking about Saul, he used the word chosen. Jesus chose Saul long before Saul chose Jesus. In the words of Jesus, it says this in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. He needed to know that God had chosen Saul as his instrument. This may seem like a mystery to us, but God wanted uh, to use Ananias in the same way he was going to use Saul. He chose to use Ananias in the initial stage of transforming a crazy man named Saul into a blessing named Paul. Verse 16, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's, my name's sake. Side note, boy, do we see this now, years later, with scars to prove it, and under the pile of heavy ministry responsibilities, he gave testimony that suffering had been his companion. If any should entertain doubts that God humbled this proud man, we can see the description so clear in Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 11, it says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times. It sounds like a country song, does it not? <laughs> Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. That's where you could end. And then you would, you would pick up the song. Well, that is not the greatest country song of all. Because you didn't say anything about mama or prison. Or getting drunk. So then it comes back on. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things what comes upon me daily, my deep concerns for all the churches. And now... 
It's the greatest country song of all, right? Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. So Ananias, he steps out. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias, he stepped out. I'm sure with a little fear and reluctance, if I were being honest, he began to knock on the door. You know what I, what I picture here is he knocks on the door like really light. It's like, oh, they're not home. Okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> Can you picture that in your mind with me? It's like, oh, they're not here. How many times y'all been that way before? All right. You know, it rings one time. The Lord's telling you to call somebody. You call them. It rings one time. You just hang up the phone. All right, they didn't answer. And then when your wife begs you, you know, have you talked to so-and-so? Yeah, I called them. You lie like a rug. Exactly. Well, iPhones don't lie now. Even if you didn't, you butt dialed them, you're still going to see on the other line that they called. But can you imagine? Just picture this in, in your mind, if you will, with me. <clears throat> but so, so finally he gets brave enough to knock. Judas answers the phone, and he says, we've been expecting you. Can you imagine? It was his first glimpse of this man named Saul from Tarsus. I've ever told you the story one time. Y'all remember uh, there was a young man. I was leading worship. Only a few of you are going to remember this, the security guys for sure. This is years ago. I was leading worship, and this guy came up and ran up on the stage, and he started taking off his clothes. Y'all remember that? Well, he, he was on some uh, heavy medication. He was injecting in his arm and smoking through a pipe. And uh, I was being nice about that. And so uh, the very next week he came, he wanted to visit with me at the church, at the grip building. And uh, so I said, okay. So he said, he said, show me your arena. He was a cowboy from uh, New Mexico. And like an idiot, I jumped in the truck with this guy. And uh, by the time we got to the arena, we were going like 90 miles an hour. I thought he was going to flip the truck. I really did. I mean, and he slammed on his e-brake. We like slid way out there. I said, I was ready, ready to cast some devils out of him. Well, at the end of it, uh, he ends up in the pavilion, and his, his mother calls us. And uh, me and Pastor Ty go up there, and I'll never forget it. We walk through the door, and he was sitting at this table. And he looks straight up at me, and he goes, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Me and Pastor Ty had a heyday with some devils in that room that day. We had us a big time. But isn't it something when, when somebody says something to you? We've been expecting you. We did cast out some devils that day, and that boy got set free. I really believe with all my heart. It was his first glimpse of this man named Saul from Tarsus. That was just a side note. That was a rabbit trail. I hope you guys are okay with those rabbit trails. As he laid his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Don't you know he wasn't just laying his hands on him? Don't you know, you know, I, I, want, I, tr I want to believe that he was walking in faith, but still there's a part of him. Here is the most evil man in the country at the time. And you know he's probably shaking saying, Brother Saul. But he says, Brother Saul. 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came. He has sent me to you that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a moment of courageous faith. He was touching the killer of Christians and called him brother. This was the icing on the cake because it came from a fellow believer. John Scott in his book, The Spirit, the Church, and the World, writes this. So Ananias went to the straight street, which is still Damascus' main east-west thoroughfare, and the house of Judas, indeed to the very room where Saul was. There he placed his hands on him, perhaps to identify with him as he prayed for the healing of his blindness and for the fullness of the Spirit to empower him for his ministry. Even more, I suspect that this laying on of hands was a gesture of love to a blind man who could not see the smile of Ananias' face, but could feel the pressure of his hands. At the same time, Ananias addressed him as Brother Saul, or Saul my brother. I never fail to be moved by these words. They may well have been the first words which Saul heard from Christians' lips after his conversion, and they were words of a fraternal welcome. I guess we could say that Ananias is one of the forgotten heroes of the faith. Because he is. There are countless numbers of them serving Christ behind the scenes even today. Most we will never meet, will never know by name. They are content to remain in the shadows, not wanting to be in the lights and applause of men. But make no mistake about it, they're heroes. Giants of faith because of their selfless acts of obedience to God. Faithfully carrying on, faithfully administering, faithfully delivering messages, faithfully showing mercy to the sick and laying hands on people in hospitals. Faithfully counseling and giving hope to the discouraged. I am so thankful that Ananias was obedient to deliver the message God had placed on his heart. In Acts chapter 9 verse 18, the Bible says, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. When God performs a miracle, there are two undeniable effects. It is immediate, it's permanent. Once Saul regained his sight, it was probably Ananias who baptized him. Wouldn't that have been a sight to see? Go with me if you can again. Use your imagination. Standing in waist deep water and this faithful servant baptizing once a madman saying those words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been buried with Christ in baptism. Rise to walk in a newness of life. What a moment when these two embraced, weeping with great joy. Verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached that Christ, the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. God. But Saul's healing and baptism were only the beginning of God's plan. Like a racehorse, Saul broke out of the gate and boldly proclaimed Christ as the Lord in the synagogues. Verse 21, Then all who were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. The transformation is amazing. Saul, no doubt with blood stains still on his garment from Christians he had tortured. Now stood with arms outstretched and announced that Jesus is the Messiah. God's son. And the people who heard it were amazed. The Greek text uses the term from which we get the word ecstatic. They responded with nothing short of astonishment at the swift reversal in this man's life. Imagine sitting on the synagogue in those days. In front of you, preaching Jesus as Messiah is the very man responsible for condemning innocent Christians to death. 
Others had been taken into prison like some of their family members or friends. The room was full of awe and wonder. The Bible says that Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving, by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus. Proving. Everybody say proving. Proving that this Jesus is the Christ. It gets better. Not only did Saul preach about Christ, he preached with remarkable skill. The word translated proving comes from the Greek verb, which means to knit together from several different strands. Saul's sermons were skillfully put together, delivering with compelling logic all signs of a gifted expositor. Word by word, sentence by sentence, point by point, Saul walked his listeners through the powerful passages of the Old Testament scriptures, including the writings of the prophet prophets presenting a case for believing in Christ as their promised Messiah. Until Saul had made his case, most of the people in the room had never made the connect, that connection. Just like God used Ananias, he wants to use you. His obedience changed the destiny of millions of people. You know, me and, me and Brandy was talking about this today. I believe if he didn't use Ananias, he'd get find somebody. There was obviously a call of God on Saul's life. But how many of y'all know Ananias was glad he was the one who answered the call? And it's the same way with us. We need to, we, we need to answer that call. You know, there, this world is still full of some Saul's out there that God wants to use to change, to turn the world upside down. How many of y'all know? I mean, there's testimonies in this room that aren't, you know, far from, honestly, in the time and day we live in, far, far from that. But God wants to use that voice to change the world. But God wants to use you as an instrument to lead them to Christ. How many of y'all know God wants to use us as an instrument? Did you guys get something out of tonight? I hope you did. Next week we're going to talk about, and then, and then from there it talks about him hooking up with the disciples and going from there. We're going to talk about his mission. All right, 7.15, 45 minutes. Blessed is the short-winded preacher, for he shall be asked to return. Praise the Lord. It's my favorite scripture. Amen. God, we thank you for this time together tonight. We just pray, God. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would see moments. Lord, give us, give us visions of you using us in places that we, could, you, uh, that we would never imagine. And so, God, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear of, God, how you want to use us in the life of our kids. Lord, I just lift up kids to you tonight. I hook my faith up. I get in agreement with moms and dads in the room, stepmoms and stepdads in the room, and we pray for kids to come back to the land of the living. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would use us as yours vessels, whether they be kids or family members. God, we choose to be a light in darkness. We choose to answer the call of what you would have in store for each and every one of us. God, I just pray, uh, Lord, as people go home tonight, pray you keep your angels charged around about them. Keep them in all your ways that no evil befall them. No weapon for and against them shall prosper. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below. And if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, 
and follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.